You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. As we sit down here at the Nine Foot Homemade Oak Bar, just I, I don't know what I want to jump into first, my friend. I don't know if I want to get into the absurdity that surrounds Craig Kimbrell, and it's obvious to everybody who's paying attention. The White Sox are trying to move him, oh, yeah. and they they almost move him. It sounded like there were a couple of deals sitting out there, and he had to decide how much of his contract they were going to eat. That would determine how many guys or what their return was going to be. And then the Braves just moved on. So now they're reportedly talking to the Dodgers. Like, did they wait too long? And then and then also the Michael Conforto thing. This is the only major position player out there. There isn't a peep about him. Like, nobody is working with him. And I have some theories on it. What, what do you want to jump into? We could talk about how Mike Rodolfo and Yoki Cespedes are so hot that very soon we're going to be hearing that spring training buzz of don't worry about right field. These guys are all hitting 500 in the first couple of weeks of spring. I'm sure it will continue throughout the entire year. Uh, Well, let's see here. Between all of those, can I also choose the sound of my own teeth getting drilled? Or do we... <laughs> I mean, all of those come with some form of pain. I, I just... It, it, it's... Well, let's let's start with Craig Kimbrell. Well, let's let's start with absurdity. If we're going to go into this, let's start with something that's just bizarre to me. All right, hold on. Before you do it, I want to make sure we pay the bills with Family Waterproofing Solutions. Uh, remember, Family Waterproofing Solutions is where you go whenever you need to deal with bowing walls, foundation crack repair, sump pumps, uh, gutter cleaning, yard drainage systems, exterior wall ceiling. You got water coming into the basement. It's rainy. Things are thawing. Something might not be going right. Protect your foundation, your home. Everything starts down there. If you've got uh, any kind of issues with your sidewalks or going up and down, that's a foundation issue. Fix that right away. Don't let it get worse. Family-owned, veteran-owned, and operated since they started in 2013, 24-7. Give them a call at 708-330-4466 or see what a difference a family makes. And mention us, you get money off at FamilyDry.com. So to recap for everybody who fell asleep at the wheel and and wasn't paying attention, there was a report, right, that Craig Kimbrell was the subject of multiple potential offers. Right. And the White Sox had to make some decisions about how much of the contract they were going to eat versus, you know, maybe taking a lesser player in return because, they you know, the the contract was going to get taken up by the other team. Then there was, and, and this is, I love the fact that there's a big to-do about the fact that the Braves were in serious talks with the White Sox before they decided to sign Kenley Jansen because that's like saying, you know, the White Sox had every opportunity to win multiple World Series over the past hundred years if they had just done things differently. So it, it was one of those where it's like it came out, it's like, oh, great, they didn't make the trade, so why do I care what the Braves didn't ultimately end up doing? But it, it he's still here. Is Rick Hahn gun-shy when it comes to trades? Like after the whole uh, the Tatis thing, which we always said, like, ah, you know, somebody in there should have known he was good, but you can't just hate on the guy for that. But now after the Madrigal trade, knowing that whatever return he gets, Madrigal for that return will be the judgment forever. 
Like, is he gun shy? Is he looking for the perfect deal? And then he waited too long and the Braves were like, all right, forget this. We're going to spend $16 million on Kenley Jansen and not give up anybody. Thanks a lot, White Sox. Go sell him to someone else. That's what it felt like to me. Well, yeah, and and it's either Rick Hahn is gun shy or in Rick Hahn's potential defense, you have the Braves sitting there going, we're going to offer you really nothing of value. We're going to take our organizational depth. Right. You know, when you talk about organizational arms or an organizational bat, that's a polite way of saying a minor leaguer who's never going to amount to anything whatsoever. And you don't want that. Here's the thing. Don't trade Craig Kimbrell just to trade him. Okay. You might not like him. You might not like the Madrigal deal, but you don't give him away for nothing. That would be kind of ridiculous to go through the risk of picking up a $16 million deal and having to unload it and hamstringing your team because that $16 million in the budget could have been used for something else because clearly there is a budget and we are right up against it. But Rick Hahn should know that, as I said last week. Uh, he should know that and he he should act accordingly when doing things. You don't take that risk and then make a trade for organizational depth. So I, I, if that's the case, I get it. I get why he probably was like, no, nope, I'm not ready to deal him yet. That's what you do with Dallas Keuchel in, in his contract situation is you say if somebody's willing to give you organizational depth to take on Dallas Keuchel's contract because you want to take that money off the books and go spend it elsewhere, that makes some semblance of sense. But you don't pick up Craig Kimbrell's option just to turn around and sell him off for basically somebody who's going to be slightly worse than Blake Rutherford next year. So what you may be seeing there is you may be seeing the Braves in there going, yeah, we'll take his full contract, but this is what we're giving you. And Rick looking at it and going, well, that doesn't, that doesn't do me any good because right now, even taking Kimbrell's money off the books, there's nothing to spend it on out there really, right? Right. And this is why the lockout is so damaging to the White Sox offseason. Not an excuse for it because this is not good. You, you, you have to do more. You, you still need pitching. You st- I don't know what you're doing at backup catcher. You're really going to stick with Zavala and, and Collins? You're just going to roll the dice with that? That's that's the plan? Like To me, I, I go back to what you said on the last episode. You didn't do enough. It's pretty much the same team with a couple of tweaks. And you had some things that you knew at the end of the year you told us directly you were going to do, and you didn't do it yet. And if you don't do anything, your offseason is a failure. The big capital F. That doesn't mean your team can't win the division. I think they're going to win the division. That doesn't mean your team can't win a playoff series. I think they can win a playoff series. But I don't know if you could convince me right now this team can win a World Series the way that it's constructed unless a couple of things fall into place. And that's not going to be because of something Rick Hahn did. It's going to be because of some dumb luck here at this point. You know, something has to work out right for him because all we're doing now is crossing our fingers, hoping we stay healthy and hoping that guys that don't naturally play certain positions can all of a sudden play them and everybody progresses and nobody really regresses and everything is shiny and happy and wonderful and beautiful. And it could be, I just don't know if it will be. And, and, and let's look real quick at right field and I don't want to stay on it forever, but the Michael Conforto thing in my mind is dead. And I'll tell you why it's dead. One, nobody's talking yeah. to him. There's a reason nobody's talking to him, right? But two, and, and this was pointed out by a couple different people, and I saw the article myself, when the New York Daily News ran an article a few days back, towards the end of last week, and they were pointing out this rule in New York that says, even though it's an outdoor stadium, uh, all of these employers, including baseball teams, their, their employees must be vaccinated or they can't work. And so this is a this is a New York only rule 
and it affects the Mets and the Yankees. And the New York Daily News talked about players and what they had said as members of those teams last year. Now, Michael Conforto said, none of your business. Now, a lot of people take that as probably not vaccinated. He said, none <laughs> he did of your not business. get jabbed. Yeah. Right. right. Okay. Now, now me, I'm vaccinated. I just don't like people asking me all the time. So a lot of times I'll be like, none of your business. So, I mean, there is the chance that... <laughs> However, you you are not you're not potentially making 20 to 30 million dollars right. a year right. in a very public arena. Right. So now here's the problem. You read that article and you look at the fact the White Sox are the first team to basically come out and say 100% vaccinated last year and then made a policy saying their minor leaguers have to have the booster or they don't get to play and they're not releasing them. And you get the impression the White Sox have a policy that does not match up with Michael Conforto. And you can yell about it and scream about it and be angry about it. However you want to view this thing, that could be a real factor here. And that is, this is something that goes back to maybe about a month ago when I told you when they had this policy. I was like, imagine if there was a draft choice who had it in their mind they didn't want to be vaccinated and you drafted them and then you couldn't sign them or they wouldn't sign with you when you told them about the policy. I never even thought about the whole, and which is crazy, that's the first thing that could pop up here, a free agent that would actually help your team that you can't get. Or part of the negotiations is, hey, Scott Boris, can you uh, can you get him down to this price and can you, can you make him go take that vaccine? Like that just adds just a whole other thing. And you know what Boris is trying to do? Find him a short-term deal, hope that the rules go away where certain teams will take him if he's vaccinated or unvaccinated so that he can opt out in. And he's going to try to find a team that doesn't care as much as the White Sox care. And at that point, like when I read that last week, I was like, okay, no buzz about Conforto and this. I've I've kind of just started looking at this team as what this team is. And I find it more realistic the White Sox could make a trade, even in season, to fix right field than go out and sign Michael Conforto. And it's kind of a gut punch, really, when you think about what the team needed at the beginning of the offseason, what the team's ending up with. And if that's a factor as well, you're just like, oh, you just you throw your hands up at that point. You go, what am I going to do? I can't be angry. It's a good team. I want to watch the team. But it's a frustrating thing to, to hear. Well, there's there's two things at play there. One is, while I think you're right, that could be a factor for the White Sox or other teams negotiating because they do have to be they do have to consider it. Right. I mean, Toronto has to consider it because, uh, you know, there's some rules in Canada that are different. Yeah, than the US. you can't go there if that's the case either. Yeah. But the other thing is that I think from a, a more standard business standpoint, the, the thing that struck me was the the fact that Conforto turned down a an extension that was rumored to be between 100 and 120 million dollars from the Mets to hit free agency. I think he is vastly overestimated how much teams are willing to pay for a guy whose best two seasons of the last five are now five years ago and the 2020, the shortened 2020 season and his biggest home run output was in the 2019 happy fun ball. I would, I would be fine with Michael Conforto patrolling right field. Cause it would, it would be exactly what we were talking about. It would be something different. It would be something new. It'd be a stabilizing force. It would be a different look for the team. But frankly, if they are, and I, I wrote this on Sox on 35th and got some, some, some pushback. I did. It's true. But I wrote, if, if you're planning on paying Michael Conforto $25 million a year, he's not going to be your best player. He's going to hit seventh in this lineup because he's not that great. But now the other thing about trades that you were saying, I, I think with the truncated spring training, okay, one of the things that I, I, I kind of had the thought, and I don't have anything to back this up, but tell me what you think here. 
if you're a team right now and you're looking at Craig Kimbrell and you're thinking, okay, I could make this trade, but then he's going to have to pack up from the White Sox, spend a couple of days getting over to my facility, and maybe it's a team that's in Florida, not even in Arizona. Or I could sit there and say, you know what, Rick, I trust your staff. Run him out there, get him ready for the season, and we'll talk after opening day. Doesn't that make some semblance of sense instead of having him lose a couple of maybe a couple of precious outings with your team, getting him ramped up and ready started for the season? I think it also might be the same thing with some of the other players that they could trade for for right field. You might see teams sit there and make a decision about guys or even backup catchers where you know, you know, at the end of spring training every year, there's like a dozen backup catchers that get dropped off in front of, you know, a target and are basically told like, you know, hang out here for a bit and then somebody will come and get you a Starbucks maybe on your way out of town. <laughs> because they're a dime a dozen, but right now they're working with other staffs, sure, and and they're they're getting their reps and at bats in and maybe Rick is just going to sit there and go, "Hey, this guy looked good for insert team X, whatever team." And, you know, I know he's a veteran, he can step in and 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 catch our squad very very easily uh you know and somebody else did all the work while i got a chance to look at some of the younger guys or maybe give zach collins and sebi zavala one last shot to prove to me that they don't suck socks in the basement listeners do the hard work and if you're a hard-working man or woman on the south side you need to be outfitted properly and that's why you should visit red wing shoes in Evergreen Park, New Lenox, and Geneva, a work boot specialty store that carries sizes from 6 to 16 and feet as wide as 4E. A 115-year-old company that came out of Red Wing, Minnesota, and one of its largest stores in the entire Midwest is in Evergreen Park, Illinois, ever since 1976. When you're on your feet, the footwear is everything. So why not get an expert fitting? They warranty, repair, and offer free conditioning with laces. And they also carry Carhartt work clothing as well. Located at 3347 West 95th Street in Evergreen Park, Illinois, at 208 East Maple Street on Route 30 in New Lenox, or at 1749 South Randall Road in Geneva. Visit them today. You work hard. You've earned it. Red Wing Shoes. On the phone line with me right now from SoxOn35th.com. I love this partnership with SoxOn35th because of all the analysis, all of the articles, all of the ways they break down your Chicago White Sox, all the things that they find, and all of the talented writers that they have over there. We had never had Nick Gower on, but he's on right now. How are you, Nick? Hey, Chris. I'm doing great. Thanks. How are you? Uh, look, man, uh, welcome to the show. First time on Sox in the Basement. I was looking at this article just recently. I didn't get you on because we had everything that was happening right away. The lockout ended. Uh, we had Merkin on from from spring training. You know, we we had this weird episode where we were, we were thinking about doing a wiffle ball league with Jordan Lazowski if the lockout would have continued. We were we were live out at Cork and Kerry, and all of that stuff is still on demand if people want to go back and check it out. I know some people are coming back now after being so angry with baseball the month beforehand, but all that stuff was happening, and I missed this article. And now I see a second Louis Robert article on Sox on 35th. And you guys are, I think, feeling the same way I'm feeling. Special player, probably the best player on the team. And this could be the year that you actually see him really clearly defined as 
a superstar amongst other stars on the team, not to put anybody else down, but a superstar who could be in the MVP voting, who could be, uh, you know, uh, putting up monstrous numbers. And you wrote an article about was, was it real what he did when he got back last year after injury? Tell me a little bit about it. So, of course, I think last year we were all really thrilled with how Robert hit after he came back from his hip injury. And I think it's easy to get carried away with that. But I wanted to go back and look and see, is there anything at all in the numbers, like going deep into the numbers, is there anything that suggests that, oh, maybe, you know, he was getting a little lucky with this or maybe pitchers weren't attacking him correctly. I wanted to take a really deep dive and try to understand, you know, what was or wasn't happening there that might indicate luck. Um, So I figured out what he had to do, basically, is split his season into two. Because before the injury and after, he was a completely different hitter, both in terms of his batting stance, but also his approach and just the way he was going about that path. And I'm very pleased to say that I did not really find anything that suggested that he was, you know, particularly lucky any more than the average player. And I really do think that if he stays healthy, everything that Sox fans are saying about him and his and his feeling for this season, everything does have merit. And I'm very, you know, excited to see that going forward. Well, yeah, and and one of the things you you mentioned the word luck there. And a lot of times, these deep dive stats, these stats that try to figure out like, okay, well, it's a bad ball in play. Uh, On average, does that fall in? On average, when a guy hits the ball there with that speed, you know, you're talking stat cast and everything else like that. On average, how many times is the guy actually safe at first? How many times does that become a hit? How many times does does he find a hole or make it to, you know, make it to whatever base he needs to make it to drive in a run? And sometimes you're like, well, generally... That's not a hit, but it worked out for this player. You called the luck that Luis Robert has sustainable. And the reasoning is a lot of those times, the reason he's safe is his speed. There's a reason why, even though it's a low probability hit, he's on base because of his athleticism and his talent and how he plays the game. So it's not really luck that's just going to go away because it's luck in the purest sense of the word, but it's luck because most players couldn't get to first, but he will, right? Exactly, yeah. So there there are two reasons why someone like Robert would be sustainably lucky, as, as you and I are saying. One is, of course, speed. Um, you know, if, as, unless he gets significantly slower, which I don't see happening anytime soon, um, he often likes out infield singles on routine choppers to shortstop that, you know, 90, 95% of hitters are out on. So that's one thing that makes him lucky, quote unquote, but not really, if you go deeper than the numbers. The second is just a simple, you know, high exit velocity, um, kind of like Yuan Moncada, Aaron Judge, players like that who just blast line drives all over the field. Robert, after he came back from the, I mean, also before to some extent, but especially after he came back from the injury, which is blasting line drives all over the field and line drives are, the number one type of ball you want to hit if you're looking for sustainable production. And because he has so many of them, that's why, or it's a big reason as to why he performs so well. So those are kind of the two main things for just looking. If you look at something like BABIP or batting average on balls and play, that it's a very simple metric that a lot of people like to look at. You'll even hear like Benetti and Stone talk about it on the broadcast these days. But you have to go deeper than that because, you know, someone like Robert or, you know, Tim Anderson, another obvious example, Players like that can sustain high babbits because of their speed and the way they hit the ball. With Anderson, it's more about his hands and the way that he strays the ball to all fields than it, rather than exit velocity. So Robert, I think, is the kind of guy, based on this analysis, who, if he continues to hit the ball the way he did last year, that's, that's the bigger if, although I'm confident in that given his talent, then there really is not a reason to think that he will go on next year and all of a sudden have some sort of issue with the ball finding fielder's gloves more often than it did last year. 
one of the things that you pointed out, you did excellent analysis at SoxOn35th.com. You can see this article there, uh, and you, you can see all kinds of different content on there, game recaps, uh, Socks in the Basement. The podcast is on there, embedded in every article. And, and in this article, one of the things that you do painstakingly, perfectly, is you break down the difference in how he's standing in the box before the injury last year and after the injury and how there were certain pitches and certain locations that he was having a terrible time with. And in changing his stance, now there isn't a hole. Now there isn't a place for a pitcher to go after him because that's how you get Luis Robert out. In fact, right now, the thing, and you pointed it out, and then you can kind of expound on what I'm saying here, the thing he has the most amount of trouble with seem to be off-speed pitches, and he hits off speed pitches well better than anybody else league average. Like he's his worst thing at the plate is better than most, right? Yeah, exactly. So before the injury, he had a more closed stance, and that made him susceptible to fastballs high and inside, especially on the inside corner. That's where he had the most trouble beforehand. But now with an open stance, he's able to hit those a lot more easily. And on breaking pitches and off speed stuff, especially um, say like a slider or the one away. He used to, and still to some extent is, but especially he used to be really susceptible to swinging and missing on a slider in the dirt on a two-strike count, for example. And now, while he still does that from time to time, because he has an open stance and his hips are open and he has a lead bat speed, he's also reading the ball earlier, so he, see, he can recognize slider before he used to, and in many cases, lay off on the ones low and away. So to that last thing you said, his worst performance came against breaking pitches, both before and after the injury, um, you know, sliders and curveballs. But that's quite normal, and that's part of what I wrote about in the article, which is that even though his performance against breaking pitches was worse than his performance against um, off-speed or fastballs, it was still way better than the league average, and that's because a player like Robert specifically will get breaking pitches more often than not late in the counts to try to bury him. And before the injury, he would, you know, to some extent, swing and miss on them and head back to the dugout. But after the injury, at least my opinion, is that he was able to read them earlier and lay off them more often. And then in some cases, pitchers started realizing, oh, we can't get him out anymore with, you know, just a standard fastball in the inside corner. We need to pitch him differently. But he would sit on that and he would crush, you know, sliders early in the count like that one very memorable home run he had off Amir Garrett um, against the Reds in late September. It was like 470 feet to left field. And that was a slider, I believe. So um, or it wasn't a slider. It was a fastball inside. It was one of the two areas that he struggled with before. So it looks like your conclusion, and I want people to go read this entire thing because it's it's fascinating. Just the 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 breakdown, the stats, the the video that you're pulling, um, the you got charts and graphs. I mean, like if you really want to, like here's the thing: you're gonna run into somebody at some point, Sox fans, uh, in a in a bar, uh, at a family party, something like that. Most likely, he's gonna be a Cub fan who's gonna be like, Luis Robert isn't very good. He's they he hasn't done anything yet. He's not a superstar yet. This will arm you with the ability to just eviscerate that person. And and it makes me feel confident that what I've been saying all off season on this show is true. This is a guy who should be hitting right in the middle of your order. And this is a guy who is going to drive this team, not only this season, but for the next couple of seasons. And he's a big part. He's the reason why if Jose Abreu falls off a little bit and continues this very slight but noticeable decline over the years, that it's not a big deal if he's batting fifth or sixth in your lineup because guys like Robert and Jimenez and Grandal are guys that are going to perform well in there. Nick, do you see 
a Luis Robert clearly being a guy that's probably should be hitting right there in the center of everything and could actually be an MVP candidate? Yeah, I mean, of course, it all comes down to health. Um, biggest thing with him, we all hope he stays healthy. But if he is, I would probably hit him second or third in this lineup with Anderson first. And I would have, you know, one of Grandal or Moncada in the other spot just to balance it a little bit. But yeah, for sure, I think that he should hit second or third. He should be in the lineup every day. He's absolutely the kind of player where as long as he keeps hitting the ball the way he did last year, and as I keep saying, there's no reason why he wouldn't given his talent level, then he absolutely could be the MVP conversation. And I just think it's a matter of adjustments, as, as baseball often is. You know, pitchers are going to pitch him differently this year, and he's shown that he's a very cerebral hitter and that he can counter to those adjustments. So it's all, you know, it's an ongoing battle, but I'm optimistic that it's one that he'll win. Check this article out and everything that Nick writes over at SoxOn35th.com. Uh, there is so much content on there. If you go to the website and you cannot find the article because there is so much that gets put out at SoxOn35th.com. All right, just go into the little search engine and put in Nick, but without the C, N-I-K. That's all I do when I try to find Nick's articles. It's that easy. Boom, everything he wrote is right there. The Louis Robert 2022 AL MVP, a deep dive article available now. And I appreciate you jumping on Sox in the base my friend. Yeah, of course, Chris. Anytime. Thank you. Ed, do you like chicken sandwiches? Oh, who doesn't like a good chicken sandwich? I, I love me a chicken sandwich. And uh, oh, chicken, yeah. when I eat chicken, it makes me feel like I'm eating healthier, even if it's covered in stuff. <laughs> like if it's right. got, if it's a, let's say it's like a barbecue bacon chicken sandwich with cheddar cheese and onion straws on. I'm like, well, I'm eating chicken. Totally cool. Yeah, it's chicken. <laughs> it's chicken. It's, it's good cholesterol. <laughs> exactly. You can get that served with chips for only $5. It's part of the Where? basket lunch specials over at Double Play Saloon in Blue oh, Island. Of course. It is a gorgeous sandwich. If you've ever been inside a Double Play Saloon in Blue Island, uh, it's a big, long, just a, a classic bar. Dartboards everywhere, TVs everywhere, great place to watch March Madness, and they got the kitchen right there. And then they've got the remodeled gaming area as well. It is the perfect place to spend the weekend. I'm going to be there this weekend for sure. Stop on in, $5 basket lunch specials, $13 Miller and Bud family buckets. You can check out everything they have at their on their Facebook page. They throw up all their daily specials, things like that. Just search Double Play Saloon. Again, like I said, newly remodeled private gaming area. Come visit them at 13011 Western Avenue in Blue Island. I got a call for you. It came in about a week ago. I had a lot going on this weekend, man. It, here, look. Between the lockout ending, guest coming in the town, and I had I had folks come in for longer than the weekend. They were here through Monday and didn't leave until Tuesday. And then I had Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday last week, and Thursday was the high holiday, so I was already sitting in an Irish pub with my father at noon. So I had two and a half days to do a week's worth of work. So I was just rushing, because on Friday morning, I was on my way to South Bend for a hockey tournament, because my son's last weekend with the Chicago Horn Frogs that play over at 115th and Western in the Morgan Park area he started with them way back when they were brand new. It was a brand new thing. They had never had a hockey team over there. It's a, it, you know, they, they just built that place over there, the park district. He played with them the entire time. He's on the brother ice hockey. 
He already started practicing with them uh, two weeks ago. He's actually there right now while we're sitting here and we're talking. And his last weekend with his original team was this weekend. We did the whole thing. I got back late. I had no chance to check anything. So I finally checked the voicemail. I'm like, this guy called up and I ignored him and I feel bad. So take a listen. Hey, Socks in the Basement guys, Dean Lyle. Um, I guess we have to call off that fan walk off that we were planning for after the fifth inning. Baseball is back. And looking at Tony Clark, um, kind of weird. He actually looks like Moses coming down from the mountain with that beard. Anyway, just a general observation. Really need to get Rick Hahn on the move right now. Would love to put two lefties into this lineup. Cronenworth is a guy that I would love to see in the White Sox lineup. Trade Kimbrell and bring in Cronenworth, who is a definite uh, contact hitter from the left-hand side. If he doesn't work out, Gene Segura would be a perfect matchup. He's in the doghouse with Joe Girardi. And uh, anyway, that's my two cents. So excited about the season, but I'm really worried because we are right-handed dominant. Have a great day, guys, and have a wonderful weekend. Okay, well, who wouldn't love to have Jake Cronenworth on the White Sox right now? He's got, you know, the the ability to play multiple positions. He's a good left-handed bat. Do you think he's available? Do you think that they would move him? They have so much talent on that team, and you think that they have to tweak things, right? I think that's why people look at it and they go, you know, I really like that guy. I'd like to have him on my team. And if you look at all those players, they got to have too many But after the Tatis injury, I mean, basically he's dealing with something because of the motorcycle accident. And I don't know why they would give anybody like Cronenworth up. Well, and that's part of the problem. One, I I think right now, if you had asked that question before it was revealed that Fernando Tatis Jr. is going to miss just a long chunk of the start of the season here with that wrist injury. And then it's probably, you know, again, now they're worried about him because he's, he's been injured now significantly twice, but Let's say that they were to make Cronenworth available because they want to give C.J. Abrams a chance at second base, okay? And that's one of their top prospects. I think with the Padres, you either have to have one of two things. Either you have to have, for them, an all-star outfielder because they're outfield right now. The only three guys they have on their 40-man roster that play the outfield, not including Tatis, are Jerks and Profar, Will Myers, and Trent Grisham, which is just not three guys you want in your lineup. So if you were going to do that and you had a a bona fide outfielder to give them, I think the Padres would consider it right now because they need to fill that position more so than they need another middle infielder. However, I do think that the other thing you can do with the Padres is they traded for Luke Voigt. They desperately want to get Eric Hosmer's money off. And I floated this to some other folks and they're all like, ew, Eric Hosmer. And I agree. (laughs) But <laughs> that's what Eric Hosmer does for me too. I got I get an ooh feeling. Like, I mean, look, the guy the guy won a World Series and there was a point where he was red hot, but now oh no, no. He won't even he won't even make a fantasy baseball team in our league this year. No. But if you're willing to take on Eric Hosmer's contract and say that he's going to be he's gonna DH while you're gonna put Sheets and Vaughn, if you don't trade one of them, out in the outfield. Um, you could probably convince the Padres to send back Jake Cronenworth, depending on what you're what you're giving, and it could be something where they could use Craig Kimbrell. They could use, uh, you know, some young pitching because they've got some questions there. They could use Gavin Sheets as a right fielder, first baseman. They could use Jake Berger potentially. They have Manny Machado over at third, but if you have to switch him back over to short 
and you know move somebody else over to second base they could certainly you know make that a possibility so i do think that there's some some ways to get that done but i don't think you're going to like how it goes because if you don't take on a hosmer contract i think you're trading andrew vaughn i think they're asking for dylan cease socks in the basement socks in the basement Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on socksinthebasement.com.